Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right, today we've got another Shop Talk episode for you where we talk with one of our Blister recommended shops about some of the favorite products that they've seen this year, some of the trends that they've noticed in their particular corner of the world, and more. And this is a really excellent addition to our Shop Talk series. This week, I talked with Lucas and Jeff from Gear West in Long Lake, Minnesota. And honestly, these two were kind of on fire with the gear that they were talking about, the trends that they were identifying, the new gear that they were highlighting. Shout out in particular to Jeff on that front. And so, yeah, Lucas and Jeff, job very well done. And just before we get started, I do want to make sure that you are all aware that we have been rolling out our videos of our panel sessions from this Blister Summit that we held this past February here in Mount Crested Butte. And you can either go to our Blister website or go to our YouTube channel. Just punch in Blister Review and that will come up. But I am extremely pleased and proud with the conversations that we had at the summit. We had so many incredible panelists. And frankly, I think if you are not catching these conversations, I actually think you may be missing out on some of the most important conversations that happened this winter in the ski industry. That's just my opinion. See for yourself. So check out those videos on the Blister website or on our YouTube channel. But for now, let's go ahead and get to this terrific conversation with Lucas and Jeff from Gear West, where we're talking about a whole bunch of ski gear and trends, and there's going to be a whole bunch of snowboard talk too. And so, here we go. All right, well, I am very happy to be talking with Lucas and Jeff. Um, Jeff, why don't you, we'll give you this task, why don't you take a minute to just tell people about Gear West? Uh, we are a shop located in Minnesota, and I'd say we're probably based more around uh, free ride than anything else, uh, and that's on both ski and snowboard sides of things. Uh, we do a fair amount of race business, too, just because that's the nature of Minnesota, tons of racers and stuff like that as far as ski racing goes. Free ride, we sell more twin tips than anybody probably in the state easily, just because that is a huge scene here with all the rope toes here, so they can get multiple laps in. And so we really cater to that. We cater to boot fits. We have amazing boot fitters here. Definitely the best in the Midwest, if not some of the best anywhere, uh, just from people I've met in the last few years. Um, and our selection is unique, to say the least. We definitely side more on the side of independent and different than uh, the safe bet, as far as things go, with different brands. Even though we do carry some of the brands that have the safe bet, um, we pick and choose our stuff out of those. That was well done. We should also say we recorded a conversation with you sometime last season. My my memory has blister has a hundred percent ruined my memory. Uh, but I I guess that was last year, and yeah. you talked a whole lot more about your own background. 
um, in that conversation, which was really cool. It's a very interesting one. And um, I don't know, should we maybe, you you mind doing sort of a, a quick recap again? So I grew up in Northeast Iowa, not where you'd think about skiing or snowboarding and uh, had a unique group of friends that of skiers and snowboarders that we'd always go and cruise up and hit a bunch of the resorts. We'd also go hike when we got snow down there and we'd call it Iowa backcountry. Right. And we'd go learn to drop cliffs. <laughs> we'd build <Sick>. jumps <laughs> like on farmer's lands that we knew and things like that. And it was a blast actually. Um, I've even gone back and hit some of the stuff like since I moved back here again from Utah, uh, usually just powder runs or different things when they actually get enough snow down there. Um, but I moved to Utah and uh, ended up uh, managing Milo Sport after a bunch of injuries in Salt Lake City and worked there for 12 years and managed, I think, for six. Was I think I figured that out the other day with the owner, Cal. Then uh, ended up coming back here just for family and things like that and uh, was lucky enough to find Gear West and find an owner that was willing to let me have my vision, <laughs> I guess, of a perfect shop. Uh, one that includes everybody and we can do everything for anybody that wants to get outside. Pretty good. And we were just talking before we hit the record button that in Utah, you would just be out riding and you we were, we were talking and we'll, we're going to get to this in this conversation about, and you kind of already said, like kind of being more inclusive, but you were mentioning like you guys would be out riding and Julian Carr would just kind of be in your group and no one really thought twice about that. Not in your own group. Some people yeah. outside of the group maybe looked at that kind of funny, but um, yeah. yeah. Um, well, and then we've got, you know, joining us on gear 30 for the first time ever. Lucas, you've arrived. What's up? Tell us about yourself. I was just, uh, you know, I grew up in the ski industry. My dad used to work for Snowbird when I was a really little kid. So I'm from Salt Lake originally. Um, then migrated over to Colorado, uh, you know, probably right around high school. So I grew up in ski shops. It's just been like a really huge passion for me. I've always loved skiing. And, you know, so when we moved to Colorado, I was in Christie Sports. So we were Christie Sports Beaver Creek and Christie Sports in Avon. And just chasing my dad around, learning the ins and outs of the, you know, kind of the retail side of the ski industry. And then uh, I met my wife in Vail, and she's from Minnesota. So then we ended up back here in Minnesota. And part of me thought that, like, when we moved to Minnesota, I would get a, you know, I'd go back to school and get a real job. And, you know, I stumbled into Gear West one day. And, you know, it was like, it was like home. You know, it was awesome. It's just like the really just super tight family, like, family-run ski shop. So, uh, I'm super stoked to be here. So how long have you been at Gear West now? Uh, so the, I'm coming up on what, three years. I think almost four. Almost yeah, four like, years? Yeah. Time flies. Four years, yeah. Because yeah, I'm have at no idea. six. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah. Well, that's cool. So both of you, it's, yeah, Utah has played a role and then Utah to Minnesota. Yeah. We crossed paths in Utah too, but we didn't realize it. Oh, really? Yeah. Until later on, because yeah. he would come into Park City Milo Sport when I ran Park City Milo Sport as a little kid. Yeah, yeah. So. so I went to I went to the middle school that was like right there, and we I lived really close to the Park City Skate Park, and we just trashed boards <laughs> like so many skateboards broken at that park, and we always bought from Milo because it was like the coolest store. You know, and so, yeah, I probably bought a skateboard from Jeff when I was like 15. That's awesome. 
That's yeah. awesome. And here you are, reunited here at I last. Am. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Well, gentlemen, um, that's cool. And people should go back. We'll put a link to that to the last Gear West uh, Gear 30 episode we did. We'll put a link to that in the show notes to this episode because there's a lot of there's a, there's just a lot of interesting stuff about the shop. I mean, the campus, we didn't even talk about that, but we did that last conversation. And Jeff, you, you gave us a good overview there. Um, but I think what we should do, mostly because this is always the thing that I'm most interested in when I get to talk to folks like you at shops, is to kind of get a sense of what some of the gear was that customers coming in just seem to be really interested in. You know, and, you know, obviously we're talking in some generalizations here, but you guys being at the shop, you know what I mean. It's like, here's the the three or four skis or boots or bindings or apparel or whatever that just seem to be really hot this year. Um, and so I don't know who wants to go first on this, but I'll throw that question out to, to the both of you. Lucas, go. Lucas, go. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think that, you know, with, I mean, kind of as you've highlighted, we have a huge customer base that a lot of them don't put their skis on in Minnesota. You know, they go out west and they're heavily influenced by what they see and the experience that they have out west. So one thing that's been like super funky, but also really, really interesting uh, has been like the, the jump that we've seen in like hybrid ski boots. You know, the XT3s, the Striders, the shift boots from Solomon the bindings, you know, AT bindings and like skis kind of following on that trend because we have a lot of customers, like I said, that are taking all that stuff and, you know, they have buddies that are going to, you know, take them to Avi one and take them out here and they're going to go walk and ski and do that whole thing. Like it just is really surreal for me because you'd never think that you'd be working at a, you know, at a ski shop, a stone's throw away from like Minneapolis and people coming in and buying like touring stuff. So I thought like my days of like having those like really technical touring conversations were done, but it, I mean, part of me is like really excited that I still get to talk about that stuff with our customers here. And like I said, there's been a really driving interest in our customers in the gear because it is so versatile. And so, you know, I mean, in terms of approach, like how approachable the stuff is, how user-friendly it is, and uh, what it allows you to do. We've seen a big up-ramp in that from our customers. I have many follow-up questions here, but but Jeff, are you seeing a similar interest in terms of um, splitboarding? Yeah, a bunch, a fair amount of splitboarding stuff. Like this year was interesting though, because this I brought in splitboards two years ago for the first time, and we sold them all like within like three weeks. And this year we sold a couple initially and then sat on them and talking to other people around, like, it's kind of like one of those things. Once you have one, cause you're not using it every day. It doesn't seem like, uh, all shops, uh, basically all shops were having trouble selling them eventually, but like, it's still something like we hang on to. Like, I know for sure that we're the only shop around here that will cut skins for anything, which is bizarre. Because it's so easy. <laughs> that is true. Huh. So, okay. So, basically, everybody who needed a split board, you know, in Minnesota got one a year ago. <laughs> they just, they jumped on it early. But, I mean, yeah, you don't, not, you know, don't need to buy a new split board or skis every single year. Oh, but, no. huh. 
But, Especially when those people are using it like maybe two times a year, hopefully. Yeah. Like if they're lucky. Yeah. And they're riding their everyday jib board or whatever they're riding around here, like 90% of the time, probably. Yeah. And yet Lucas is saying sales of AT gear and maybe what we often call 50-50 gear, that mm -hmm. stands strong. It is. Totally is. Do you think that's because skiers are riding inbounds on more 50-50 gear than snowboarders are riding splits inbounds? Yes. We both talked to a customer today about this, which is really funny. Well, and like, and like, we've had guys that like, there's been some issues with the different sh shift warranty issues, binding issues. And some guys have bought them two years ago and haven't actually used them for uphill use until this year and figured it out. Gotcha. So that tells me a lot right there. Like these guys are getting it because they hope they get to use it. Yep. But yeah. They're not necessarily using it. And I'd say like definitely like a snowboard is like a split board is definitely going to be more of a specialty or a Swiss army knife item where skis, like you can still use those for multiple things, even with a shift binding or a marker kingpin binding or something like that on it. Jeff, where do you think we are? I'm going to make you speak for the entire snowboard industry right now. So no pressure. <laughs> where do you think we are in terms of the performance of splits versus solids? Is it still like really significant difference for maybe some obvious reasons? You're cutting a board in half and having to figure out how to then reconnect it in the most solid way possible. Thoughts? No, I think I think like it's there, but you are gaining a weight issue by adding edges, adding all that hardware onto there, where you don't have to do that so much with skis. Like you're adding a bunch of extra hardware on a snowboard split board. Versus a regular snowboard, and most people are just having their whatever board they ride every day, or some of them are having multiple boards because we do still sell a fair amount of powder boards all the time too, or carving boards. But it's it's just that is just such a unique thing and such a specialized thing. Like I think back, like building, like we used to build them with the volet kits before anybody even yep. made split boards. Yeah, uh, and I built so many of those over the years, but. Like now with the edges inside and they're actually rigid enough so those edges inside don't catch, you don't catch your edge anymore on those. Like that made a huge difference. But still it's not there for you to use one board for your park day and your free ride day or whatever. You know, it just doesn't quite work. And we have seen some more like Lucas went like a couple weeks ago went and did a day at Buck Hill where they just let it, a bunch of people come and do uphill traffic in the morning. Um, so hopefully we see that more in the Midwest because I think that could help with a lot of things. Yep. So is this to say then, or do you guys know in general for, uh, if we want to keep this just to the state of Minnesota, is it rare for ski areas there to have uphill policies or to allow uphill touring? I think, I mean, I think it's really, uh, the Midwest is, I mean, this is just now when they're starting to get into this thing, like they're finally seeing the capabilities of this. And now I think people are driving the interest in it because like I said, there's so much interest by our customers, either going out West or even here locally, 
that they, they want to understand how the gear works. They want to understand, you know, and not only that, but it's a really, I mean, you guys know, it's a fantastic way to ski. You know, it's really fun to like earn your turns and do that whole thing. So I think most of the places are just kind of playing ball because it showcases something really unique. And then it gives those customers also the chance to kind of explore that gear and explore the capabilities of it to kind of just in general, get out West and, you know, have a better, more unique experience. Mm-hmm. We want to do a demo. Yeah. <laughs> you want to do a demo. Um, yeah. And because you guys sell a significant amount of cross-country gear too, right? Cross-country mm-hmm. ski gear. So I guess what I'm maybe doing a very bad job at finally getting around to is you, what is the current interest level or how much product are you carrying and or selling in terms of the like uphill skiing, right? On piste, maybe before the ski area opens or after it closes or during the day, if there are routes, how big of a market or how big is the interest in this currently? Cause I would honestly think it would actually be pretty big in a place like where you're located. I think it's getting there right now. Still like, coming up. It's, it's it's really coming up in like Buck Hill acknowledged it. Uh, I've talked with a couple of the other ski hills, and they've acknowledged it. I know there's people that have certain hiking routes in the so-called mountains of northern Minnesota. Um, there's some stuff up there. Uh, I don't know where like the bigger hills up north, like Lutzen and Spirit, are with it. But I've heard that Spirit lets people do it before they open up up in Duluth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a trend. I, if we were placing bets, I would bet yeah. that that is going to just continue. Um, yeah. And, and I, guess- I do think, I, I think that what you said too, with like cross country skiing is like the cross country skiing in the Midwest is so unbelievably healthy mm-hmm. and just like rocketing. And I think that n- now there's a lot of cross country skiers that are slowly merging over to the Alpine side of things. And as they do that, you know, they're, there's just this middle ground where it's like, you're not like endurance workout. You're not like sliding downhill. It's like, how do we bridge those two? And that uphill access side of things is perfect. Like it it works really well. So it definitely draws a bridge between, you know, these two really, I mean, pretty, pretty divided sides of skiing. And that is so awesome too, because it brings like a lot of perspective. I mean, I can say from a service side of things, like, the Nordic ideology of like ski tuning and everything else is like so expansive. That is so deep, you know, but it, but it's fascinating too. Cause like they're talking about gear and, and their understanding of all of it is so strong that it's a really cool parallel to draw. Like it's really Mm -hmm. fun to pick their brains and it's really fun that when they pick our brains, cause it, it, you almost feel like the playing field, is level in some cases. Like I said, some of those guys are technologically and, you know, service wise, just it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And then when you tell them about phantom from DPS, their minds are just exploded. Blown. Are they, are, have you found your, again, we, we are keeping it to just your customers the folks you're talking with. We're not asking you to speak for about the whole world, but have, how has the reception been to phantom? Really good. Huh? And, and we're putting it on uh, almost every race ski that leaves our store because then they don't have to tune during the week. And it, the parents love that. 
Well, and then with all that verbiage that came out from DPS as well as like inherently has that solution permeates the base of the ski, it hardens the base of the ski. So that gives you your baseline, you know, for your wax is already, you know, 80% better. And then your wax retention on top of a hardened 80% better baseline is so much faster. So, I mean, in, in the race market and in, you know, even the customer market, it's, it's been a really popular product. And I think at first, like I was kind of scratching my head about it as well. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so how well does this really work? You know, what, what's the actual performance value of something like this? And I do think that there is a, a considerable amount of, of performance value to phantom. And then like I said, in the way that we're catering it to like a race customer, I think that there it, it it's it's like a no brainer, you know. I mean, it, it it's it makes sense. It keeps the skis fast, and then like I said, if you choose to use topical uh, temp specific wax on top of that, that wax retention is so much stronger and so much better on top of the Phantom. So it's it's been a really popular popular service for us. Hmm. I you know, and I, I think we can expand in it. Like cross country hasn't really embraced it yet. But the way we've done it with high school racers, because they can't use fluoros anymore, yeah. and cross-country can't already use fluoros for high school racing, too, I think it's going to be something that's going to be used by all of them as just a, pre- as a, base, as a prep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, we're going to count that. So we've got two things in terms of trends. We've yeah. named 50-50 ski touring gear. We've talked about um, you both agree that we're going to be seeing more uphill skiing, you know, on piste mm-hmm. at ski areas. That's going to continue. Um, we just talked about phantom and why you're seeing that being used, you know, for various applications as a yeah. base prep. What else should we be talking about? What other pieces of gear or gear categories, you know, were just popular or hot this season? Like we saw, or like, well, talking to customers, like, one of the biggest things in snowboarding is obviously being the step-on thing. And we're not currently a Burton dealer, so I don't have step-on. Um, but for next season, there's going to be, we will have step-on because Nitro is doing a boot with Burton, like a under their thing, but with the Burton binding. That will function with that, so we will have that. As well as, which I think is a better option where you can use any boot, is the Nidecker binding system for next year. The Contour, I believe, is what it's called. Um, and I've got to use that. I think it's a great, amazing product also, too. Because um, it eliminates a lot of the board feel issues that I think the Step-On has. Say, can you say more about that? We haven't we haven't talked much on Gear 30 about the Step-On binding versus this sort of, yeah. what are we calling it? Like the Universal? It's yeah, it's a- like a Universal one where you can use any boot. So... You know, traditionally, it's Burton's only allowed the step-on to be a Burton boot, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, They license some out to a couple different companies. I know Nitro is one of them, and we'll have some of those next year. And I think that's a great setup for an entry-level or a true recreational or a parent type of thing. Um, But I think the Nidecker one, if you want a step-in system that functions as a binding, like a good snowboard binding functions as far as freestyle oriented, um, really responsive and free ride oriented too. Um, 
that binding is a much better option because you can use whatever boot you want. You don't have a shank in the bottom of the boot trying to stiffen it up or anything like that. I just foresee that being kind of the wave of the future. Huh. More options like that or Nidic are improving on this product. I believe they've been in development for four or five years at this hmm. point. So it's not one that they just threw out there quick. Yep. Um, but uh, the sample that I have right now is awesome hmm. and i all my staff has used it that all my snowboard staff and they all agree that it's a really good product huh it in a really good product which i take it in this case means rides as well as whatever your preferred slash favorite yeah binding happens to be it, exactly huh. exactly it's it's uh just a fun thing to watch um i've always been friends with the Nidecker guys. I kind of rode with them, rode for them a long time ago, um, but somehow stayed in touch with uh, one of their guys, Greg Oakley, that works there. And he's always included in me. I've always carried a little bit since I've been here. But I feel really lucky that I'm involved in helping release this and be one of the shops that is going to be, I bet we'll be the only shop in the Midwest that has it, actually. Huh. Interesting, man. Very interesting. Okay. You guys are killing it right now with what you're coming out with. So um, I'm glad we're talking. Um, Lucas, top that. Uh, yeah. Top that. Je- right. top Jeff, that. Al- Jeff always does this to me. Yeah. He always like, you know, he, I got to follow that up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say on like the ski side of things, uh, I, I, I mean, it, it, refreshing for the Midwest is like, you know, we, like I said, we have been selling a lot of like fatter skis that people don't really use in the Midwest. And we've kind of seen this flat trend with like frontside carvers, you know, like they still sell cause we're in the Midwest yeah. and people are skiing in the Midwest. They still buy them this year. I think with like snow for a lot of places being a little spotty in the earlier season, we saw a big uptick in carvers and not, and we were, we were seeing an uptick in like, you know, obviously like a race ski, but we're also seeing like a lot of interest behind those weird skis, you know, Mm -hmm. like the line blade and the mirrors core. Yeah. And, you know, because they, they do have like a, there's some value to a ski like that. If you're skiing 300 vertical feet and totally, you want to make as many turns as possible in that 300 vertical feet. There's like those skis are the skis to do it with. So, uh, that's been super, super fun. Um, and then expanding to with a lot of people that were like diehard, I only ski, you know, a fist slalom ski and then going, you know, the mirror's core might be a better ski than that. Yeah. Like, Whoa. Okay. Like, you know, hot take, but you know, and, and I think that's a really cool perspective as well. A racer dad. He, he Racer couldn't dad. wait to buy one. Oh my yeah. gosh. He was going yeah. crazy. We have demos here and it was like, it was really funny with the mirrors core in particular, when that demo got dropped off at the service desk, you know, I would pick it up and be like, okay, we'll get it at the back and edge and wax it. And immediately the guy would like drop the demo off and like, go look at prices. Like, Oh, that's not that bad. Yeah. Oh, good ski. Yeah, so, but the, I mean, I think that those skis too, because they are more approachable and they're not this like big, scary fist stickered gnarly totally. ski that people like they have, they kind of inspire this confidence in skiers. And the other thing is they're really easy to ski and they're yep. really easy to have a good time on. So yeah, that's been, that's been good. We were just having exactly this conversation yesterday. I mean, we're, we're in the part of the season where we're going through 
big freeze thaw periods, right? Yeah. And so it's actually kind of perfect for testing because things are rock hard in the morning. Yeah. And then yesterday here in Crested Butte, I think by noon or 1 p.m., we were in the high 40s, right? Mm -hmm. And so we were starting, I was on a heads one of heads new super shapes yesterday morning um our friend was on a head monster 83 and our reviewer drew kelly was on the k2 mindbender 89 Mm -hmm. and um you know for for boilerplate i confess i still really like a very very traditional flat tail and so this has kind of been our you know our managing editor lou kappa has been like sounding the alarm about like how much he loves the line blade. Yeah. I personally don't love that ski because I do, if I'm going to be carving and on a, a narrower waist, I actually do like that super flat tail that just mm-hmm. lets you finish turns like really powerfully. Yeah. But when you're talking and, and this was the big thing, like being back on some of these head skis, it's a traditional shape. I really like, but man, those skis still like you got to put input to bend them in a way that you just don't with a line blade or that Miras core. And yeah. I think you're spot on when you're talking about areas that have either shorter vertical or just a more accessible ski. Turns out like I don't think Fist GS skis are very fun if you're not on a closed course. Yeah. Right? It's like we talked about this when I was in Austria, you know, earlier this season and being on a ski that stiff with that much horsepower that really doesn't come alive even till you're going about 40. It's like, well, if there's other tourists on that slope, that maybe isn't the best tool for the job necessarily. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think exactly what you're saying, I'm saying all this just to kind of underscore that I'm in total lockstep with you. And, yeah. and I, I hope maybe the people who were former racers who are like, I would never dream to get on what you call the like funny looking or weird ski. Yeah. It, sticks. Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> just it, like lip text. <laughs> it just opens things up in a way yeah. that does, I think, make certain ski areas um, just more fun. And like, what yeah. are we doing? Like, that's the only job here, right? <laughs> like, have yeah. more fun. And, and, and I mean, it's it, it's it totally is. And like you said, like, like diving back to like, you know, a ski that becomes pliable at 40 miles an hour, you know, whereas like these fun carvers, you know, you don't, they don't need much speed no. to start carving. Yep. Like you don't have to ram them, you know, couple hundred yards down the hill that's only 300 for it anyways before you can start cramming turns in they just want to go and they just make it easy and it, it makes it i think that there is kind of like almost kind of an ego thing where it's like yeah there's no metal in it you know it's kind of almost like kind of a center mount i'm not really that guy i need metal i don't want to mount a, a ski that's mounted center but those design ideologies are built so that the skis carve with little effort and little speed. And you can access so, that shovel so easily. Just yeah. bend that shovel easy and let's start arcing turns. The other yeah. thing that was funny is like trying to explain like come from a snowboarder side of things where progressive side cuts have been around forever. Yeah. Trying to explain that to skiers <laughs> where you have guys like I'm a radio guy and I'm like, sorry, 
Yeah. yeah. You don't have fun then. So, I don't know yeah. what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's keep this going. Other pieces of gear or trends you're seeing this year? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, kind of piggybacking off of the, the carver and like kind of reshaping the way that our customers are thinking about that. Another thing that we've seen is a big insurgence of customers purchasing like the 110 or 120 flex boot. Whereas typically, you know, it's like, I only ski in a 130 boot. I need a really stiff boot. I come from a race background. I need, you know, I need that, that flex, that stiffness. We have what seen, plug loose do you have, Lucas? Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but we've we've seen a lot of guys go moving down to that 110 boot, and I think that it has really kind of like almost it, they're much more excited about it. Huh. You know, I, I think that again, skiing lower vertical, you know, yep. you're yep. you're skiing for two minutes if you're lucky at a time, thirty seconds, and you don't need a 130 for that 30 seconds, you know? So taking a ski that's a little bit more forgiving, a little bit softer, and then pairing it with a softer boot just makes for a package that is A, again, more approachable, and then B, more pliable with the short area that you have. So that's been that's been a topic that we've seen a little bit of uh, for, for sure. sure. Hmm. All right, Lucas, skier man, have you yourself been getting into some 120 and 110 boots uh or is I, it or are you still your ego is still uh you know you still have some good spiritual exercise work you need to do to get over this ego stuff with your you know 130s and 140s you are in a full tilt so okay so yeah, that's what i was gonna say so uh so typically you know like i i was a totally that guy um you know it's like 130 is like the ego thing and it's kind of like you need this stiff boot and so I'm skiing in a, a full tilt 130. So the, the first chair 130. So it's, it's still technically a 130 boot, but, you know, that three-piece cabrio kind of layup. Uh, and I think inherently, even the 130 in that cabrio design is it's a softer boot. Like there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it because the flex is so much more progressive than an overlap boot that it, it, it's, it's softer. But yes, I do need to, I think that, there is some value to like checking your boot flex for sure. Like I have buddies that ski in one ten boots and I watch them ski and I, I, I just think, I feel like, you know, the one thirty. I think you guys said it in one of your, your gear thirties and it's like one thirty is more of a price point than an actual flex. And I think that if we all kind of like check ourselves a little bit, a one ten can be so much more enjoyable, not only for, the skier, but for the dynamic nature of where you're skiing and for the skis that you're skiing on, I think that that's definitely a good, a good way to rethink about, you know, boot flex, because like I said, I mean, we all do it. You know, you got to have a 130 because it says 130 on it. Well, and it's funny. Or 140. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I mean, I, I, um, we've been having this conversation more and, and like, I remember several, well, this was probably like Five years ago now, I remember when um, Andrew Cooperwaith with Head really yeah. wanted me to ski the Head Raptor 140. And I was like, no, Andrew, like, I don't need a 140 boot. Like, I skiing, especially like weird off piece terrain that's like really moguled out in like 
Taos and Crested Butte. Like I am not just riding like firm groomers. This is where like, this is really dynamic skiing. And I'm just not sure that I want a boot that's constantly pushing me into the back seat um, in like wild terrain. But, um, and he was like, no, no, it's not actually that stiff. Check it out. And that Raptor um, became kind of my reference boot. And over the years, it's like, well, there's a lot of, you know, these 130 boots that are kind of flagship boots for a lot of companies. And it's like, well, I just kind of have to review that category. But it's kind of been a minute now. And I actually, I'm like, I haven't actually skied in a 120 in a couple seasons. And I am not sure that I've ever skied in a 110. Yeah. So like, I'm kind of curious, you know, I, I will say that. So, uh, I got a, I recently, I got a new touring boot. Um, and I was really nervous about it before I had even put it on my foot, mm-hmm. which is like a bad thing. Um, you know, because it was a one twenty. and the days that I've spent in that boot have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like the boots easy to get on the boot skis really well and it skis well in dynamic you know, mm-hmm. kind of ski conditions, like where, like, if you have to charge the the ski, the boot's going to do it. If you have to like feather a turn or you have to skid, or you have to make those quick decisions that you need to make to like get through a certain zone, the boot's going to do it. It's like, it's almost like that boot has like really kind of reshaped the way that I think about boot flex, because it's like, you don't need to punish yourself with a, with a 130 flex boot. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, 130, it's like there's no standard for that flex throughout the industry. So it's always worth like trying some stuff on and, and flexing the boot. But it is something to keep in the back of your mind. Like, you know, it, it, a softer boot does not mean that you're a less experienced or like a worse skier. Are you going to tell us the name of the boot or is this a big secret? No, no, it's a huge secret. Uh, no, it was the, uh, I, it was the uh, S-Lab MTN from Solomon. Yeah. So. That was a weird one for me too because I grew up my whole life like you have to have four buckles on a boot. So it was like, okay, so now I have a, uh, a cabrio boot <laughs> yeah. and I have a two-buckle touring boot. So I, I've really deviated. You know, if, if my dad ever hears this, he's just going to read yeah. You know, he's like, you, you can never ski on anything with, you know, it's got to be four buckles always. So yeah. It's gonna, you're going to be the yeah. black sheep of the family for sure if he listens to this conversation. Um, yeah. Hey, another thing I want to ask you guys about, and this is shifting gears uh, a bit. We were talking a bit about, you know, the whole question, and we've been doing a ton of this uh, at Blister, talking about the question of like women's specific gear versus unisex gear. And we actually did a panel session at the blister summit called women in the ski industry. And it's a really interesting conversation. People can check this out on our YouTube channel, but, um, you know, there, there was, I mean, it was a extremely cool and respectful conversation because frankly, all conversations I think should be respectful. It's not that everyone was lockstep in the exact same position on this. And, um, you know, I've, I've been, pretty outspoken about I would like to see a move toward more unisex when it comes to skis and boards. Just the argument being that I don't think skis or a board care what your gender is. They kind of care and, you know, perform uh, 
depending on how aggressive of a rider you are, how tall you are, what your weight is. These are the factors, not your gender. And Jeff, I was saying that when we're talking to product manufacturers, that we often hear from the manufacturers that it is ski shops that are asking for that kind of women-specific thing, not just unisex, because it is, you know, they're saying that they want to have two walls, right? So if a woman comes into the store looking for a board or a pair of skis, they direct her over here. And if a guy's coming in, they're directing that person over there. And talk a little bit about what the approach is like at Gear West. Uh, so as far as walls go, like, granted, some of it is probably sp- space issue to an extent but i think it's worked out way better is at least on my snowboard walls i have it set up by brand because there is some brand loyalty between people but also like it's great to see like companies like ride uh nitro solomon a lot of these company snowboard companies anyways doing board sizes that start at like a 142 and go up to 160 or something like that and it's basically the same board the same side cuts and things like that just set up for how a rider should be like not looking at a woman or a male at all so that's been kind of cool and the same thing i'm seeing with bindings where uh, like you know there's always been women's and men's snowboard bindings but there's not really that big of a difference a good medium flex binding sometimes you just have to go to a small size makes all the difference in the world the boot thing i still think is still that way at least in snowboarding i think in skiing on our wall anyways like all the boots are on the same wall. That's how it's set up. We have we're we're kind of more set up on our ski walls um, by like the width of the ski versus like uh, the so much gender like of a the woman's. Ski? <laughs> yeah, not shrink it and pink it, you know, type of thing. Um, so that's I think really good. I mean, race skis are all one wall. Why can't everything be all one wall? Yeah. Like, how long has race skis been one wall? I mean, as long as I know. As um, long as I've been here. Yeah. So there like is... it doesn't matter. Yeah. Lucas, are you on board with this? I mean, and again, I'm I'm really curious just uh, given that y'all have customers walking in every single day. And if there's, you know, if the model that you're talking about would be confusing to people, if you see confusion, if you have people come in and they're mad that you don't have a, you know, women-specific section t- t- just say a bit more about the actual customer experience and interactions you have on this front yeah i, I mean i think that our interactions with like our female customers have been much stronger with skis that aren't you know like jeff said like shrink it and pink it like one of my favorite skis to sell to like we have a lot of women here that come from a race background and they want a ski that goes out less and they want a ski that's aggressive and that they can move around. And what I love about the Dictator series from Faction is they do have like the X, you know, so that's like mm-hmm. the women's color way, mm-hmm. but it's the exact same layup as the men's ski. And I, I love telling women that because they like, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be like, you know, like you said, it should be more unisex. It should be, you know, more unified all the way throughout. So I applaud brands that are, you know, doing stuff like that and keeping everything, you know, even playing field all the way. Kind of the third head in our mix is Isabel that works here, Isabel Berg that works here. And she is definitely 
a really good skier, really aggressive skier, and I don't think she, like she'll try she'll try a woman specific ski, but she for everyday skis is definitely riding more men's skis or or so called men's skis or a mix of both, you know, type of thing. And she fits right into that demographic of like race background, good aggressive skier. And, you know, so that's the customer that we're really trying to to cater to with the, the kind of unisex deal. And then we also have a lot of the easy approachable skis on both forefronts for men and for women. So I think that all the bases there are covered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that last thing you just said, Lucas, this is where on our panel session, women in the ski industry, Shearston Klein, who's a co-owner of Willie's Ski Shop, she was really, and I think really appropriately, just wanting to, as a as a bit of a, I guess, um, counterpoint to, to, I guess, what we're all talking about right now, which is the unisex thing, Shearston was more concerned with what she was calling the recreational skier. True. Because right yeah. now we've been talking about like high level aggressive skiers and that, That's, and, yeah. and so Lucas, what you just said though, because again, I've actually been team like, screw it. I just want to go unisex everywhere. And yeah. Shearston's concern for the newer skier or that recreational skier and not alienating him or her. Yeah. That's something we were actually uh, with um, Kristen Sinat and Sasha Nastis were, um, I just had a big heated conversation, very good conversation along these lines. And we kind of, among the three of us, ended up at a point where it was like what what we want to commit to is that nothing we are doing is going to alienate new skiers or or women coming into the sport like yeah my guiding principle and i i'm curious what this sounds like to you guys is like we want to encourage inclusion and participation so anything that detracts from that for now, we're going to kind of be against. It's kind of the wrong strategy. And, yeah. and this is, I think, what we're all going to be kind of sorting out, whether you're a shop, whether you're a manufacturer, whether you're a gear review you know, company, how do we increase that inclusion and participation? And, you know, and I want to stay, it felt helpful to have that as kind of the anchor principle. And I still am kind of on the side of like, I want to move unisex because I think it's actually truest, right? If, yes. if what we're saying is most true, that a pair of skis or a board doesn't care what sex you are, then I'd like to move away from the marketing that sort of talks about, you know, that, well, first of all, I want to, I want to not tell fake gear or fake tech stories. Yeah. Cause that's out there. Yeah. Oh, totally. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I, as you know, I think I really want the industry to get clearer on these things and maybe there still will be room for very reasonable disagreement. But I yeah. think that, that that guiding principle of we have to continue to work to increase inclusion and participation, but let's move away from like false tech stories or something yeah. to try in the name of increasing inclusion and participation yeah sorry but maybe is it okay to say you guys are kind of there with me or you have a different okay yeah totally i mean at the end of the day like regardless what we're trying to do here 
is to maximize the amount of joy that you have outside. Mm -hmm. And whether that be at Buck Hill, whether that be, you know, if you're loading up and going to Montana, wherever it is, man or woman, anything, you know, we're, we just want to make sure that everyone loves skiing as much as we love skiing and snowboarding and the rest of it. So, you know, it's, uh, I think that that's a really, really cool position to be in because it's like anyone that walks in the door, anyone on our staff just wants to make sure that you are really, really excited to, to get out, you know? So I feel like that's like the best thing we do is as a staff, like we are so good at, I mean, you know, you can kind of pick like who, who's coming in for what to an extent, like right when they walk in the door. And I think we have always done a really good job of a putting the right person with that customer, but also like making them not feel like we're elitist or standoffish or anything like that. We just want them, we want to get them the best item for them to have the most fun on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maximize joy for the most amount of people. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Something like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, on that note, guys, um, thanks for this conversation. This was really joyful uh, and fun. And uh, yeah, um, it's just always fun checking in with. with good shops in different parts of the country. And it's really useful for me to just as a way to stay clued in about how are things happening, you know, whether in, you know, Germany or in Minnesota or wherever. And um, um, this was really cool. And I appreciate the perspective. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Awesome. Yeah. Guys. Well, thank, thanks so much. Yeah. Stokes. It's really fun to be on it. So I made, I made the cut, dude. You made the cut. <laughs> not, only, not only did you make the cut, I feel like you earned your spot. Lucas, you were, you know, well done. All right. So, uh, no, thank you so much again. We, like, we do so a joke stoked. around here where we're GWA gear West Alpine and we're the burnouts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're like the guy with the T-bird and the mustache and the spliff in his pocket <laughs> classic (laughs) well one of the things i'm hoping is um and i said this last time and then things got real busy around here or maybe have just stayed busy but i'm still hoping to make it out to minnesota i'm still hoping jeff for our iowa backcountry mission i have not want to do that so bad dude i really want to do that but we need to get you two out to our summit next year yeah, so let's let's be talking about that, and uh, um, I think I think you guys would have a good time. We, we no, will, be no, we would. so sick. Okay, It'd be so fun. Okay, yeah. so we, we've yeah. got some things to continue the conversation about, but um, yeah. But for now, I'll let you guys get back to it. And uh, thanks, this was awesome, and uh, um, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, All right, thank man. you. Thank you so much. All right. Well, it is now time for our weekly What We're Celebrating segment, and it is currently 10.52 on Thursday night, March 31st. And I got to tell you, today was a fantastic day. And so it actually kind of started yesterday. One of my best friends in the world, Steve Buss, we have been very good friends since we were 12 years old. Well, Steve came into Crested Butte yesterday, and the first thing we did was head over to Western Colorado University's campus. I wanted to show him the engineering facility and the kind of what we're doing with Blister Labs. We met up with Gary Pearson, uh, the Dean of Students at Western. We saw our friend David Assad and had some great conversations there. 
then went on to dinner last night at the Breadery, which has quickly become one of my favorite restaurants in Crested Butte. So that was yesterday. Oh, and at the Breadery, we saw Sam Higby, who you might remember from that coffee deep dive conversation that we did on Gear 30. Um, So we saw Sam, got to catch up with him a bit. And then Sam actually recommended a whiskey that I'd never had. It was an Elijah Craig toasted barrel. But long story short, I didn't end up actually getting that last night, but we ended back at the breadery tonight where I did get that Elijah Craig. And yeah, Sam, as always, he's on point. It was really nice. But I'm getting ahead of myself because today... Steve and I were on the mountain today getting to shred Crested Butte with one of my best friends in the world since we were 12 years old. Then we had a little opera gathering back at my house at 5 p.m. with Troy Russ, who you all might remember from our Mountain Town Economics series that we ran on the Blister podcast. Had a great conversation with Troy and his friend Stephanie where we did break out the Whistlepig 15-year-old rye. So that was great. Then we went back to the breadery tonight and met up with Dr. Jenny Blacklock, who you know from our Gear 30 podcast and uh, Blister Labs panel session from the summit that we are about to roll out, I think maybe actually today. So Steve and I got to hang out and have dinner with Jenny and her husband, Greg. They are just exceptional people. And so here I am at about 11 o'clock at night. And it just has been sort of 48 hours of hanging out with incredibly sharp, incredibly passionate, incredibly fun people. And I don't know, if you're anything like me, that's just about as good as it gets, right? Life, when you get to hang out with people like this, it's the best. And so that's what I am celebrating. I'm actually celebrating now with water because again, we, we put in our whiskey time already. Maybe I can just say, I hope you all have the opportunity to surround yourself with passionate, fun, engaged, smart people because that's just one of my favorite things in the world. Oh, and one more thing. Saturday, the strikingly handsome Justin Bob is going to be in Crested Butte. I think he's trying to pull off the Grand Traverse. We're going to get the story from Justin about that. There's been some injury stuff going on and the rest that, you know, so I I don't want to put any pressure here. But what I do think is that the strikingly handsome Justin Bob is going to be in Crested Butte this weekend. And I can't wait to see him because it's been way, way too long. And I think we might actually get to that promised podcast conversation with Justin. So I'm going to raise a glass to that too, because I can't wait. And Justin, we're looking forward to seeing you. And so that then brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Lucas and Jeff for the fantastic conversation. And yes, you two, I will be seeing you both out here at the next Blister Summit if I don't see you first in Minnesota. So let's make that happen. And then, yes, of course, thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.